Today's Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. Cards Against Humanity is bringing back Concert Against Humanity at Gen Con on August 5th. The show will feature live performances from Eugene Merman, Aparna Nancherla, Jonathan Colton, Miley Lewis, Paul and Storm, and more surprise guests from the Chicago comedy scene. The show is open to all. Grab your tickets at ConcertAgainstHumanity.com. Thanks, Cards Against Humanity. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everyone, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is a sweet episode of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast, recorded with the United States Pizza Museum at Demos Wicker Park, a wonderful pizza joint in Chicago. Uh, this time out, you'll enjoy stories from Claire Friedman, Mike Migdahl, Kristen Lundberg, Mary Z, Chris Crotwell, Brandon Kirkman, and Katie Johnston-Smith, plus music from myself and the aforementioned Claire. Um, this is a super great episode to do, and we're eternally grateful to the Pizza Museum and Demos for the partnership. Let's do it again sometime, guys. Our next live Your Stories is Sunday, August 21st at the Sum Office Theater, 1917 North Elston in Chicago at 7 p.m. Uh, the theme is Intrigue, and we're featuring the creators of Taylor Swift, Girl Detective, an illustrated novel uh, that was just kickstarted to great success, plus a number of other fantastic storytellers. As usual, this show is free to attend, and it's going to be a really great night, so don't miss it. Uh, thanks so much to our sponsors for this episode, Cards Against Humanity, and thanks also to the Chicago Podcast Co-op for hooking up that sponsorship. If you're in Indianapolis for Gen Con this weekend, do not miss the Concert Against Humanity. It's seriously an incredible lineup, and I'm so bummed I can't go. Uh, my daytime employer, weirdly, pastimes, they will be there, uh, so if you feel like playing some Magic the Gathering over the weekend, that's who you want to talk to. Uh, I'm just saying that because I really like Magic the Gathering. Uh, also... Thanks to Board Game Bento for sponsoring this episode. Board Game Bento is the subscription box for tabletop lovers. All Board Game Bento boxes come loaded with at least $80 worth of epic games and gaming accessories. Uh, if you signed up for the next box, themed sports, we think you're going to love what you get. But if you didn't, that's okay because they do new boxes every month and they are always a great deal. Uh, go to BoardGameBento.com and enter a promo code NERDS to receive $5 off any subscription level. Um, if you like playing games, man, this is something that you should do because they are really, really great uh, for the gaming industry. And of course, 
Thanks, all of you, for listening. This is a really fun episode to record. We hope you all enjoy it. Hey, everybody! Yeah, hey, someone knows my name out there. Hi, guys, so you're probably wondering, why is this strange bearded man talking to me while I'm trying to eat pizza? You're in a show! This is our show, yeah, how about that? So my name is Eric Arnaud. I am part of the Nerdalogs. We're one of these banners back here. We are a sketch comedy group that does a lot of storytelling shows, and that is the show you are at right now. This is called Your Stories, and tonight we have partnered with a very special uh, partner. Now, just for a little background, this year Your Stories has been to a lot of Chicago institutions. We've been to the Chicago Cultural Museum. We've been to the Chicago Design Museum, but you know what? No museum is quite like the United States Pizza Museum. Real quick... Let's hear from its founder, Kendall Bruns. Hello. Hello. I'll face you while I talk to you, because that's the polite thing to do. Uh, so I started U.S. Pizza Museum a year ago, and you can view the collection at uspizzamuseum.com. Uh, there's all kinds of weird pizza stuff, new and old. There's a Demos pizza box in there, and other pizza boxes, and old toys, and things like that. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you to Demos and Adeline for uh, helping set this up here. And the, yes. And the Nerdlogs. And so uh, this, your stories, uh, Nerdlogs do this pretty regularly where they have people do stories and comedy and stuff, like Eric said, on a theme. Uh, I approached them about doing a pizza episode. And so I know some of you may be here for it, or you may just be here because you're eating pizza. And surprise, there's a show, like you. Uh, if you want to know more about the Pizza Museum, you can go to uspizzamuseum.com, or you can come over here and add your name to our mailing list. We also have free buttons, and we are selling hats. And that's it. Thanks. Thank you, Kendall. We're going to hear a lot about pizza tonight. So every every show we do has a theme. The theme tonight is a slice of life, as chosen by Mr. Kendall Bruns. Uh, so we always do music to start the show to kind of get people in the mute. Uh, the, the mute? The mood. Hey, mute. I talk in front it's of people all the time. It's pronounced mute. It's pronounced mute yeah, now. It's pronounced uh, mute. So this is my bandmate, Claire. Hi, guys. She, she picked all the Not songs cheer. tonight. Claire, what are the songs we're doing tonight? Uh, these are all songs that tell a story. These are all songs that have a narrative arc. Um, so every single one of them is going to tell a little bit of the story while we sing it. Because it's like a slice of the singer's life. Get it? If you want, you can think about what kind of pizza these uh, musicians would have eaten while we do these songs. You could think about that if you wanted to. You ready? I think so. i 
my daddy left home when I was three and he didn't leave much to my main just his old guitar and an empty bottle of booze now I don't blame him cause he run and hid but the meanest thing he ever did was before he left to you and named me Sue well he must have thought it quite a joke and he got a lot of laughs from folk and it seems so hard to fight my whole life through some gal would giggle and I'd get red and some gal would laugh and I'd bust his head I tell ya life ain't easy for a boy named Sue well I grew up and I grew me my fist got hard and my wits got keen I'd roam from town to town to hide my shame stars that I'd search the honky-tonks and bars and kill that man that gave me that awful name. Well, it was Gatlinburg in mid-July and I just hit town and my throat was dry. I thought I'd stop and have myself a broom. At an old saloon on a street of mud, they had a table dealing studs at the dirty mangy dog that named me Sue. Sweet dad from a worn-out picture that my mother had And I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye He was big and bent and gray and old And I looked at him and my blood ran cold And I said, my name's Sue, how do you do? You're gonna die! hit him hard right between the eyes and he went down but to my surprise he come up with a knife and cut off a piece of my ear but I busted a chair right across his teeth and we crashed through the wall and into the street kicking and a gouging the mud and the blood and the beer oh I tell ya I fought tougher men but I really can't remember when he kicked like a mule and he bit like a crocodile He said, looking at me, and then I saw him smile. And he said, Son, this world is rough, and if a man's gonna make it, he's gotta be tough. And I knew I wouldn't be there to help you get along. So I give you that name, and I'll say goodbye. I knew you'd have to get tough or die, and it's now the name that helped to make you strong. He said, now you just fought one hell of a fight And I know you hate me and you got the right to kill me now And I wouldn't blame you if you do But you ought to thank me before I die For the gravel in your guts and the spit in your eye Cause I'm the son of a bitch that named you Sue I got all choked up and I threw down my gun And I called him my pa and he called me my son And I came away with a different point of view Every time I try and every time I win And if I ever have a son I think I'm gonna name him Bill or George or something Anything but Sue Thanks guys What kind of pizza would Johnny Cash have eaten? What kind know. of pizza? I feel like he would be eating like a sandpaper and nails pizza <laughs> 
Like, and he would definitely be getting all the cocktails. That yeah. This place has. Maybe like jalapeno. Oh yeah, sandpaper nails and jalapeno. Sandpaper nails. That and is jalapeno. for sure what Johnny Cash would eat. So guys, there is a storytelling portion of the show. It's not just me and Claire. But guess what? The first storyteller tonight is Claire Friedman. So uh, tonight's theme is a slice of life. So I wanted to talk about a slice of my life, um, specifically one that happened today. Okay. Um, so I was driving down the street. I live up in Lakeview. And I was driving down the street, coming from a Starbucks, and I park. And I look, and there's a cop in the middle of the street. There's a cop car. And I was like, huh little funny probably some sort of property crime this man's investigating it that's fine you do you chicago pd i go into the starbucks to get my tea now i was a little bit surprised that the chicago pd was there not surprised that i didn't seem to see them doing anything i've had a few run-ins with with the cpd as i'm sure we all have especially if uh you're not white and um so I've had a few run-ins with them. The first, the first time uh, was I got, um, my bike was stolen. My bike was stolen right out of my house. Uh, someone sawed through our porch, just re- like, to, like probably structurally damaged the porch and just took my bike right off of there. So I called the police and I was like, hey, like my bike was stolen. I, it meant a lot to me. Like, what can I do? And they, no one has ever sounded more annoyed than the 911 operator who hung up on me. Um, and then when I called back, I called 311 to report it, file a police report, which I needed to do for my insurance, but no one ever wanted to talk to me or come by or like interact with me in any way. So I was like, good, they're out in the community. This is good. I come out of Starbucks and there's two cop cars. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. There's now an SUV parked behind the regular cop car in the middle of the street. And I'm like, wow, something must have really happened in this quiet, tree-filled north side street. And I was thinking about, like, wow, it's I'm amazed that they got two people to show up because I was thinking back to another time when I tried to get the police. Uh, I had gotten doored um, riding down Milwaukee, test-riding a bike. I got doored, was bloody in the middle of the street, just covered in blood. We needed to call the cops again just to file a police report against this this poor guy who doored me who like seemed very very sorry but i could have had medical bills i cracked the helmet i was wearing and i waited bleeding in a bike shop for three hours which is not sanitary like that's not some that's not something customers want to come in and see is just someone like crying and covered in dirt and blood and be like buy a bike it's fine um so I waited for three hours and like different cops would pass by and I would stop them and I would be like, hey, are you here to help me? And they would be like, no. And they would drive away. And finally I stopped when I was like, are you here to help me? And they were like, no. And also there, you're, there's no report of this in our system. No one's coming. And I was like, cool, that's how this feels um, to live in an outlaw society. So I had to drive and, and file it myself. And, and so I was like, wow, there are two cop cars. Like, something must be important. And as I'm thinking that to myself, a third SUV pulls up. And I'm like, what's happening right now? 
because the only time I had successfully gotten the police to come to my aid was when my car had been broken into while I was inside of it. Someone smashed the window behind me, stole my backpack out of it. I chased him down the street, and which is a bad idea. And they, they came about an hour later and asked me if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, I guess. And I was like, are you going to try and find that guy? And they said no, and they moved on to more important things. And I was like, well, at least they have more important things. At least they're like doing things that are more important than my silly bike accidents and, and being robbed and, and things like that. They have more important things to be do, doing. And so I watched these three cops on this north side street at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. And finally, one of them came into view because he had picked up a divvy bike off the median. And three cops were standing around it looking at this divvy bike trying to figure something out with it. Remember, the order is cop car, cop SUV, cop SUV. They pop the trunk on the cop sedan, and they start to put the divvy bike in it. And they all sit around, and they talk, and they look at it, and they nod their heads. And the trunk is just open with this divvy bike hanging out of it. And they nod, and they start to walk back to their cars. Now, I have so many questions. <laughs> First of all, why does this take six police officers? <laughs> what else could you have been doing? I tried to check the, the like scanner and the police blotter to find out why they were there and what they were doing and also to see what other crimes they could have been helping. <laughs> also, why didn't they put it in either of the SUVs? Were those SUVs filled with Divi bikes? Why couldn't they have dropped off the Divi bike at the Divi bike station a mere half block away? And I was so baffled at these policemen standing around this bicycle that is owned by the city that seemed to be in perfect working condition, nodding to themselves and steadfastly, confidently throwing a bike in the trunk of the car and driving off. That as they were, as they were doing that, I took a picture of them. And I thought, well, if you're not going to help anybody, at least you can get me some likes on Facebook. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. They also could ride the Divi bike, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to tell the officers what to do. Any CPD here? You got answers? We need to know. Anyway, guys, so this show, we have eight storytellers tonight. The Nerdalogs, so that's me, booked half of the show, and the U.S. Pizza Museum booked the other half. We're going to get to the first U.S. pizza speaker right now. This is Mike Migdahl. Hey, how's everybody doing? So initially, I wrote a piece for this character that I was going to play called Pizza Minnelli, like Liza Minnelli, and I was going to tape a pizza to my face and cut out holes for the eyes and the mouth, and I was going to sing songs as Pizza Minnelli to all of you, and I was like, man, this is a lot of work. And this is for a podcast, and they're not even going to see the hot pizza that I've taped to my face. So instead, I just wrote a poem about some stuff that is real. I'm going to read that poem for you now. It's called, I Live Next to Lil Caesars for Four Years. <laughs> for four years, adjacent to my apartment, you stood... Purveyors of cheap, hot, and ready pizza fud. 
Ever-present, the undying stare of your pizza king, a strong gust of wind to my nose would bring the scent of a hot and ready pizza baking. With five dollars plus tax, it would be mine for the taking. For only a pittance more, one of your Caesar dips could be applied to a slice moments before meeting my lips. Whenever I want it, within the hours of your store's operation, I could fit in some pizza before the night's scheduled masturbation. And video games and Twitter browsing, my prize for choosing the Little Caesars near my housing. I've been depressed. Believe me when I say that the depression is not lessened by Little Caesars Pizza Blessing. Hot and ready, hot and ready, hot and ready, hot and ready. In my stomach, you, you're just coming in to a poem. In my stomach, a slice of the stuff makes my gastric acid churn and eddy. I should have made some ramen or spaghetti. For four years, I've lived in the shadow of this pizza pit, using acne face wash to fend off the occasional grease-borne pizza zit. At the end of the month, I move out. This is true. My lease dies. Away from Lil Caesar's basic-ass pizza pies. Believe me, I come to bury Lil Caesar's, not to praise them. The evil pizza shits that a hot and ready cause live in, live on in the annals of my annals while the good times are often forgotten. Like the pizza in the dumpster behind the store that I live near slowly becoming rotten. But when I got dumped, Lil Caesars was there and it cared and their pizza I ordered lessened the lumps. And when I got fired, Lil Caesars was hot and ready, and didn't care that I didn't have steady employment. <laughs> to think back on it, Little Caesars actually did bring me enjoyment. The time I went in and fucked around on their security camera, for instance, making faces into the hidden camera while my image danced off in the distance behind the counter on the security feed. And believe me, this mirthful encounter ended with me well-fed on Little Caesars' mouth-watering Italian cheese bread. It would be easy for me to diss Lil Caesars, so instead, I would like to say thank you. Lil Caesars, if you are listening to this podcast, thank you. I get it. We're all doing the best we can. I know it's a big chain, and I should refrain from throwing love to a probably evil company with their evil pizza devices. And don't worry, I enjoy Demo's Pizza and their fancy macaroni cheese, uh, macaroni cheese pizza slices. Shout out to that. But as I move away, I must say that a part of me is there with Lil Caesars, and I must pause while it comes back to me. But before I do that, I must also say that I've never been sad enough to order their chicken wings, which frankly do look fucking disgusting. Thank you. Mike McDowell, oh man. So I used to work at a Kmart and Little Caesars was in the Kmart and oh, woof. That was, that was a time. It was about four years for me too. We have that in common. We're like Eskimo brothers, but with pizza. Right on, dude. All right, coming up next to the stage, another invitee of the U.S. Pizza Museum. I can't wait to see what Kristen Lundberg has to say. Woo! Hello, brothers and sisters of the pizza. Um, I've come here before you today to, uh, just talk about my experience with pizza. Um, so I was, I worked at pizza restaurants for eight years, um, ranging from age 15 to 
whatever f- 15 plus 8 is. And um, I, I made a lot of friends on the way. Um, I actually got my first tattoo uh, from one of the friends that I made at uh, Papa John's. And um, the tattoo artist, his name was Spider. And um, I, I told him I wanted to get tattoos of ants going down my pants, um, which they are. You can only, there's six of them, and they look like little spots now. Um, and I told him I wanted ants, but when we were in the tattoo parlor, he, we couldn't remember how many uh, legs that ants had. Uh, and this was before Google was available on the phone, so um, he gave them eight legs. And so they're actually spiders. Uh, um, if anybody in a pizza restaurant tells you that they don't smoke weed in the cooler, they're lying. Um, <laughs> um, it's a, it's a commonplace activity. Uh, there, there's a, there's plenty of, uh, downtime in making pizza. It's not like a really, it's not like a McDonald's. And, uh, so me and my friends in the restaurant, we, at Papa John's, uh, we would, we would smoke weed in the cooler, and then uh, the the bonus of that is is that there are free snacks. And then they're they're good cult. It's good cult too, and decomposed. Um, I've learned some things. I used to work with a brick oven at a place called Nico's Pizza in Cincinnati, and um, I learned that you have to uh, wear sleeves when you make pizza um, because I burned off my armpit hairs uh, putting in a pizza in the oven, and that was. That's really just a slice of life right there. Um, um, Nico's was a 3 a.m. pizza place, so we got a lot of uh, really great uh, people that came in around 3 a.m. Uh, notably, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Pickle Guy. Uh, Pickle Guy was uh, hanging out in the lobby area, and he was very, very drunk, and he was rolling on the wall like like that, and... Uh, some girl was like, man, this guy's really drunk. Uh, and we're like, yeah, well, let's do something to him. <laughs> so we're like, hey, girl, uh, we're like, hey, girl, uh, we'll give you $5 if you take this handful of pickles and put it in this dude's back pocket. Um, so, they, so she did it and we gave her $5 and, uh, he still, he was so drunk. He still didn't know that there was pickles and, what made it worse was that he kept rolling along the wall like that. And, uh, you know, joke's on us because we had to clean up all of the pickles. He left like a pickle trail. And he actually, he went outside and the pickles were still falling out of his pocket. And um, I uh, uh, I decided to start smoking weed that day, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I got, I was, uh, so my nickname at Papa John's was Breadstick uh, because I'm white stick-like and covered with a fine layer of powder from head to toe. And um, I, I remember one day I got mugged, and this is a true story. I got mugged in Cincinnati delivering pizza uh, to the west side after we were closed. It was really fucking annoying. Anyway, um, w- the guy, uh, he he only took $7, but I told Papa John's that he took $20, um, so I made $13 off of that muggery. I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, he, he hit me in the head and I fell because I wasn't wearing my helmet that day. 
And um, there was a little bit of scrawl. Like, I was wrestling around on the ground, and for some reason I untied one of his shoes uh, because my fight, flight, or become Bugs Bunny kicked in. And um, and uh, he ran away, and one of his shoes fell off, and they found him, and they found the shoe, and they put the shoe on him, and the shoe fit. I uh, said, so it looks like you're the Cinderella of jail, bitch. I don't quite frankly no other way to put that. Uh, and, they, and, and they got the pizza. I, I was delivering pizza to them, and, they, and somebody gave me the pizza after everything. And um, really, that's just a cool story about how I got a free pizza. I mean, thank you guys very much. Have a good day. Kristen Lundberg, everybody. Oh, gosh. Coming up next to the stage, this is a speaker we've had so many times, but it's been like, I think, 15, 16 months since we've seen her, and that's real sad. This is Mary Z. Hey, guys, keep it going for Eric. Um, so this, this slice of my life that I'm going to share with you is two days in high school that I will never forget. Um, so in, in high school, I was a big goody two shoes and a very big nerd. Uh, my two biggest passions in high school were drama club and saving myself for marriage. Um, so I was very religious. And so to my delight, my freshman health class had a two day abstinence only workshop from a Christian pregnancy counseling center called Pass Pregnancy. And if you have never had the pleasure of an abstinence workshop before, they do all of these uh, these weird exercises that have very strange metaphors for why you should save yourself for marriage. Exercise number one, the tape metaphor, a.k.a. sticky schlongs for Christ. What they do is they gave everyone in the class a piece of scotch tape. And then they had us go around and stick our pieces of scotch tape together. And then the presenter said to us, you'll notice, everyone, the more you use your pieces of tape, the less sticky they become. They become useless and worthless, just like if you have sex before marriage. Tape! <laughs> and looking back on it, I don't think the presenter understood how genitals work. I, I think for a tape metaphor about sex to be accurate, uh, the tape would have to get stickier each time you used it. You'll notice that this tape is getting really good at sticking to things. This tape can stick to things much longer. This tape can communicate its wants and desires with its partner. Tape! And of all the things to compare your bathing suit parts to, a piece of tape. To this day, I can't go inside Office Max without becoming completely aroused. I just walk in there, I'm like, scotch, duct, oh god, double-sided, it can stick to itself! 
Exercise number two, the paper heart, a.k.a. They gave everyone in the class a heart made out of red construction paper. Once again, the office supply theme ran very strong in this workshop. You, I, I don't think you, people always like blame the religious right for abstinence-only education. I think we have to start looking into big paper. I think they're the ones that are really behind this. Uh, so they gave everyone this like this construction paper heart. And then they chose a girl out of the class because, of course, they picked a girl. And they had her go around the class, and they acted out a hypothetical sexual history that this girl might have in her life. Uh, and every time she did something with a boy in the class, hypothetically, they would exchange pieces of their hearts with each other. And so they'd go around, and it would be like, oh, like... Uh, uh, you know, Samantha made out with Billy after choir practice. Like, she gave him this big piece of her heart because she really, really cared for him and he didn't really care for her. So, like, he, he just wanted to make out with a girl. So he gave her this tiny bit of her, of his heart. And then they did that, like, a bunch of times going around with, like, different things until finally Samantha is getting married to Tommy. Tommy is a virgin. If you look at his heart, sure, there's a few nips, a few tears in it, but it's mostly intact. Tommy has a whole heart to give to her. And then they pick up Samantha's heart, and it's a mangled piece of crap with a Band-Aid hanging off of it. This is the heart that Samantha is giving to her husband. And so I was like already on the abstinence bandwagon at that point. So these exercises that like should have struck me as being completely crazy only further proved my motivation to stay abstinent till marriage. Like I was like, I am not giving my husband a piece of broken construction paper. I gave him my tape sticky for him. Uh, and it was at that point that they handed out these things called ATM cards that stood for abstinence till marriage cards. And I signed mine and kept it in my wallet all throughout high school. Now, I just want to say that for the record, abstinence is a totally valid choice for people. I'm not pro-teenagers boning each other. I'm pretty neutral on that issue. But I think that in high school, in sex ed, that abstinence should be taught as a choice, as a form of empowerment. It should be taught along with consent and self-worth. It should be something that builds us up, not something that is part of making kids think that they are mangled pieces of construction paper with Band-Aids hanging off of them. Okay, bye! <laughs> Thank you, Mary. I mean, yeah, that, that sounds like a horrifying workshop, and I'm sorry that that is the education you were given, but on the other hand, I would like a construction paper heart. I just want a visual visualization of how I feel inside. Please. Anyway, guys, what the hell am I saying? Coming next to the stage, another Your Stories Pro. I love this man. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Mr. Chris Crotwell. <laughs> You gonna talk about abstinence, Chris? I wasn't really a choice. 
I was 19. I married her. Uh, it didn't work out. That's not what this story's about, though. I'm just saying. It's probably not the best course of action. Um, my second year in Chicago, I was dog-sitting for a friend. Uh, no air conditioning, no cable, no internet, no media present except for one DVD box set of Castle. Which is like giving a starving man an entire sleeve of saltines and just thinking that he'll be fine. It's not how it works. And then the phone rang, and it was my friend Andy from college. Um, and a few things about Andy. If you met him, you uh, could be forgiven for thinking that he is just a redneck or a yokel or some sort of weird banjo-plucking miscreant from the woods. But he has a very, very thick and very regional southern accent. Um, he also has a degree in physics, and when he graduated, he sold everything he owned, bought a boat in New Jersey, a 25-foot sailboat in New Jersey, lived on it, and spent two years working as a barback in a gay show tunes bar to save money for fixing it up. And when he called me, the boat was done, and he needed to get it from New Jersey to Charleston, South Carolina. And he could not sail a sailboat single-handedly from New Jersey to South Carolina. And I was unemployed. And I didn't, I didn't like my friend's dog very much. So I dropped it off at some other friend's house, and he bought me a plane ticket. And I went out there and spent an entire week helping him get this little 25-foot boat down the entire eastern seaboard. You just sail all day, and then at night you pull into the closest town you can find, and then you just do it again. And we talked about everything, because there's nothing else to do. So we talked about his dad, who'd recently died. He grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, so we talked about how fucked up and insane that was. Um... You know, we talked about my divorce and what Chicago was like. And then we ran out of shit to say, so we just had four quiet, quiet days on a boat. <laughs> and it's hot, and it's filthy, and it's miserable. And the only stove that he has is just two bricks with a sterno underneath them that you can just, like, put a can of vegetables on its side over. Because it's all we get to eat. And then these two tiny, tiny cots. Because a, a 25-foot boat is not very big. And if there's not any wind, we have to use the outboard motor he has, which gets us going a roaring five knots. And I don't know if you know how fast five knots is, but it's not fucking fast. They're old ladies on walkers can get going faster than five knots uphill. And we have a deadline to make. We have to get to Charleston, South Carolina. So we start having to just take shifts and steer the boat 24 hours a day for like three and a half days. Because he doesn't have a steering wheel. You sit at the back of this thing and just use all the strength in one arm to hold a tiller. And then there's a little bitty GPS with just a blinking arrow and you just stare at that screen, and you hold the tiller. 
And you do that until you can't do it anymore. And say, like, Andy, help. We're going to die if you leave me out here. And you have to do it wearing a full rain suit. Like, during the day, I'm burning up and I'm sunburnt. But at night, it's freezing because there's all this salty spray coming up from the chop and the wind. And so you have to wear a full rain suit. And that's what we had to sleep in. Because you can't change clothes. I couldn't stand up when I wasn't attached to the tiller. So we can't make any food because there's no way. Like, there's just no way you're going to eat. And to sleep, we had to tie ourselves down on these little cots so that you're just not bouncing around the interior of a cabin. Um, and at one point, we were almost... Almost all the way there, I started to feel a little more alert, but then I realized that I was just hallucinating my balls off. Because we were coming into Charleston, and they have all these buoys set up to show you where the channel is, so you can get back in. And all I can see is a giant lion's mouth opening for me to sail into, like I'm in fucking Agrabah or something. And I feel like that's fine at this point. It seems completely reasonable. Until I just run us completely onto a jetty. And Andy is thrown out of his cot into the front wall of the main cabin of the boat. And he comes up and he's like, what the fuck? And I was like, it was a lion, man. I don't know. I can't do this anymore. But we did make it. We made it to South Carolina and uh, beat to shit and sunburnt and disgusting and probably malnourished. Um, and it was absolutely one of the best weeks of my entire life. I got to see how locks work. That's really thrilling if you're as nerdy as I am. We got to go through a swamp. I felt like a ghost pirate. Um, and... I think about Andy a lot, because right now, he is somewhere off the coast of South America. He just took off in that little 25-foot boat by himself from South Carolina and went to the Caribbean. And when he got bored of an island in the Caribbean, he'd just go to another one. And then he just single-hand sailed it out to South America, because his goal is to be in Brazil for the Olympics. And I think... You know, nobody eats one slice of pizza. That's not satisfying. You eat the whole goddamned pie, right? If you're home alone, and maybe in your boxers, and there's nobody looking, so why not? Uh, and Andy was never the sort of person to eat one slice. Like, I got one week of being a pirate on that boat, and it was incredible. And I'd do it forever, but I don't have the balls. Andy always eats the whole pie. And I think I'd like to be a little bit more like my friend Andy. Thank you, Chris Crotwell. Yeah, I, I feel like I would have felt the exact same way about that trip that you did, where like it, it would have sounded awesome, and then in the middle of it, it would have been awful, and then looking back, yeah, that was so awesome. Uh, Chris, you want to do that? You want to rent a boat and just go? Me and you? Let's go to Toronto or something, dude. Sorry, Shelby. I'm taking your man for a week. <laughs> Let's do it. Coming up next to the stage, we have a great storyteller, wonderful stand-up comedian, done the show a handful of times. I love him. Brandon Kirkman. 
Thank you, thank you. Guys, I was so excited for this show because I have so many pizza stories to tell, but they're very much intertwined with my being, which is, I'm, I'm so fucking stupid. Oh my god. Like, I enjoy life way more than any of you smart people, but like, it's a double-edged sword. That's the thing I've come to realize. Or like a gun that has two barrels where one shoots in the front and one shoots in the back. That's why the South lost, by the way. <laughs> Bad planning on their part, guys. Look it up. It's on Google. Um, but the thing is, like, the reason I mention this is because my pizza stories are very much intertwined with my stupidity. I remember the first time in college I ever felt shame because I was just too stupid to know what shame was, was I was telling a teacher of mine, like, how was your night last night? I was like, ah, oh, it was the best night of my life. I found an entire pizza in a dumpster. And she's like, did you take it out of the dumpster? Yes. Did you eat the whole pizza? Yes. And she's like, do you know that's supposed to be wrong? I'm like, nah. And then it happened two weeks again later, and she just accepted, like, you're just going to die from food poisoning one day. Like, man, it's... Guys, if you just put any type of, like, food in front of me and poison it, I'm dead as hell. It's as simple as that is. And the reason I mentioned these pizza stories and this whole slice of life theme is that I also remember the first time I felt really, really stupid in front of my fiancé, who I love dearly, is, uh, I don't know how she's still with me after this story, because about... Two years ago, we were at Gulliver's Pizza, which is a fantastic place. And uh, we were eating pizza, we were enjoying ourselves, and we were getting ready to head out. And they brought out one of those little pizza boxes. And they have that picture on it that has Italy, you know, where it looks like the little boot and has all the places. And then in the center of it is a star. And that star says Rome. And I said to myself mentally, oh shit, Rome's not its own country? For years I thought that. And then even more loudly out loud, I said, oh shit, Rome's not its own country? And everybody looked at me like, oh, look at her. She's helping that special needs man. It's so nice. It's just like, you know, I have a college degree. Who let that happen? I'm just like mystified. Like Northern Illinois University, you got to get that teacher staff fixed. I don't care how much money I gave you. That's unacceptable. And um, I feel like it's excited to come back because yet again, uh, I just got back from being in Japan for two weeks, which was, that was really different guys i don't know if you know this but like everybody there's pretty much japanese like there wasn't a lot of white people there definitely wasn't a lot of black japanese people not even like one it was kind of weird but when i was going there i wanted to try a bunch of different places and they have pizza there but when you go to pizza hut you can get a japanese style pizza and i still have no clue what i ate on top of it it looked like there was hair but it tasted like seafood, so I'm pretty sure that Japan has wizards and they're brewing up some good pizzas. Just shooting those magic missiles right in there, and they're like, now your hair's seafood! And, oh, God, I miss it so much. But I really enjoy Japan because it made me feel like that stupidity will follow me no matter where I go. Um, but it comes from my family. I w went with my mom, who I love deeply, and when we got ready for this 14-hour flight to Japan, she leaned over to me and she whispered in my ears like, Hey, son, do you want to join the Mile High Club? That's when I found out that my mom thought the Mile High Club is when you order an alcoholic beverage on a plane. And I was really embarrassed because I already taken my mom off to the bathroom. We'd started making out heavily. Boy, was my face red. I, that story's a lot more graphic, but I see that little guy there. He does not need to hear the other version of this joke. Oh boy, you're not ready to hear that stuff. But like, it was a fun trip because I got there and I felt like I could really relate to the people. But I felt like I really related 
when even in Japan, I realized I can still get bullied by school children. Uh, I went to this place in Akabara where it's like the huge department store complex. And they had a new video game out there that's never going to come stateside that I really wanted to try and play. Uh, this is the new JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fighting game. It's awesome, I hear. I hear. Because there was two Japanese school children in front of it playing it. An 8-year-old and a 10-year-old, I'm guessing. Playing it for like 20 goddamn minutes. I was waiting behind them. And like a guy got behind me, literally looked at his watch and said, whatever, I'm too tired for this shit in Japanese was, and walked off. And finally, after like that 15, 20 minutes, I tapped him on the shoulder. And I was like, I want to play the game. And then both of them were laughing and having a fun time. But they look over me, dead stone seriously. And they're like, no English. And they went back to playing right away and laughing and having a good time. And I was too ashamed to do anything. Thinking back, I'm still trying to figure out if they're like no English in our country or don't know English. Or if it was like both. Because god damn it, those kids played me. And I also learned an important lesson is that no matter where I go, I'm going to hurt the ones I love the most. Because we were getting ready to head home. And we had to take a taxi to the airport because we were running out of time. And this sweet old Japanese man in a taxi who could barely understand us was helping us, and he's like, oh, I can take you to the airport in the most broken English I'd ever heard. And I was like, I should help this old guy. We have these huge, heavy bags. I'm going to put him in. So I literally am putting him in. He seems so happy. And then I go to slam the trunk down right on his head. Oh, boy. I'm so glad I'm not going back to Japan for a while. And I hope I don't ever see him again because, oh, boy, that was like, ooh. I just, there's no joke to that, guys. I feel bad for that old Japanese man. (laughs) Uh, I just spread some bad rumors about how we are over there now. Uh, But, you know, I just want to end on this note, too. Just don't make out with your mom in the bathroom if she tells you things in the Mile High Club. I can't tell the whole joke, though, because it gets really dirty, and I keep going back to it, and there's bodily fluids involved, and... Oh, boy. Guys, love your moms. That's all I want to say. Have a good night. I didn't know you were engaged, Brandon, and I didn't know you went to Japan. Congratulations for both. I'm sorry you were the scourge of the East. Jeez. Welcome back. Guys, we have one more storyteller tonight. She is a member of the Nerdalogs, but also a good friend of Kendall Bruns, so she was invited by both parties. This is Katie Johnston-Smith. Hello. Hello. I'm okay. I'm okay. Also, my favorite part of tonight has been watching people awkwardly enter Demos Pizza while this event has been going on and wondering if it's okay for them to do so. It's okay. Order your pizza. Enjoy yourself. Um, cool. Uh, and I've been very anxious about it because I am a very anxious and obsessive person. As a tween, I was obsessed with Reggie Miller the power forward from the Indiana Pacers. Um, as a teen, I was obsessed with the celebrity culture surrounding Christianity. There is a celebrity culture surrounding Christianity. Uh, I second Mary Z's obsession with abstinence because I just had sex last year. Um, <laughs> I am currently obsessed with and anxious about how my body looks as a result of eating a lot of cheese on vacation last week. And I enjoyed myself, and I ate a bunch of cheese, and I drank a lot of wine um, while still maintaining, like, a regular poop schedule, like a real, like, Roman dictator. I felt like a real Roman dictator. 
I'm aware, like, that I probably shouldn't be, like, really upset about how I look because when other people look at me, they don't see the same stuff that I see. But when I look at myself, all I see is, like, the places that I could be better in the body department. And that's, like, completely effed up. And I know, I, like, I've paid a bunch of therapists to tell me how effed up that is. Um... And ideally force my boyfriend to tell me that I'm not fat. So thank you, Logan. <laughs> but I also know that I'm not the only person who feels this way about themselves. I've had many conversations with friends about how we've overdone it and need to commit to eating air for a few days to get back to our fighting weight. And we praise each other on days where we look very thin and associate a lot of self-worth with how we look. And there's a whole lot of, like, culture and, like, celebrity culture and blah, 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 the media to blame for uh, feeling invalidated by not being a skeleton. But, like, be the change you want to see in the world and everything, right? And I guess when it comes down to it, the change I want to see in myself is accepting then I'm more than what I look like, like a lot more. I'm talented and I'm hardworking and part of my identity for a while has also been that I'm hot. And <laughs> um, I guess that's important to me, being hot. Being hot is important to me, whatever. Um, and maybe that's shitty because I won't conventionally be hot forever, but like, F it, you know? And to quote a woman who from her deathbed um, was hot until the day she died, that is my grandmother. I'm objectifying my grandmother. Don't care. Um, she said, Katie, eat whatever you want. Who cares if you're a few pounds off? Now I just, like, need to take her advice. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, eat whatever you want at Demos, where the food is fucking fantastic. Uh, also, I don't know where the cultural idea came from that skeletons are hot. Dude, like, Skeletor is not hot. Those skeletons in those those old, like, movies that are claymated, they're not hot. They're spooky. Uh, oh, Shelby thinks they're hot. I don't know. I wouldn't hook up with those lanky skeletons. They're too busy trying to kill Jason and the Argonauts anyway. They don't got time for me. Claire, come on back. With that wonderful introduction. Guys, we have reached the end of our evening. So I have a lot of thank yous. Uh, thank you so much to the U.S. Pizza Museum for, for doing this show with us. Kendall Brunson crew, you are fantastic. At U.S. Pizza Museum on Twitter. What's your website? USPizzaMuseum.com. They catalog all things pizza. It is God's work. It is wonderful. Thank you, U.S. Pizza Museum. Thank you so much to Demos. This seriously is incredible food. And a really great space. And I'm sorry to all the people we weirded out when you walked by. It was okay that you came in. Thank you for being polite and respecting that we have a show going on. One more song. Yeah. You want to intro this? This is another song that is a story about a day. Um, this is originally a, uh, a Paul Simon um, wrote this. I know it's Simon and Garfunkel. I've only wanted to credit Paul Simon. Um, <laughs> what did Garfunkel do to you? Uh, uh, what did Garfunkel do to us all? But um, it was covered by a band called First Aid Kit in a really good cover, so you should listen to that. But the original is also really good. It's just kind of a good song, so hopefully I don't screw it up too bad. We love you, Claire. You're not going to screw it up. <laughs> all right. I should also note, like, we're usually, uh, there's five of us who do this music. Only Claire was available tonight to do it with me. So, yeah, Claire. Yeah, it. Eric. Yeah.
Claire does almost as many of these shows as I do. Yeah. You're real good at this. Thank you to Kendall Brunson, the U.S. Pizza Museum. Thank you to Demos. Thank you to all the storytellers. 
Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Improvised Star Trek. Improvised Star Trek is an improvised parody of Star Trek featuring the adventures of the crew of the USS Sisyphus, a slightly less enterprising starship. For more information, visit theimprovisedstartrek.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.